The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy. To one who has shown no mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. Let us pray. Lord, uh, we rest and we have hope and peace in you and your mercy. I just pray uh, over the message that you've given Matt through, through study, through prayer, through meditation, through conversation, Lord. Um, just that we encounter your spirit, we hear your truth, that it meets us where we are today, that it brings us closer to you, that, um, that uh, it brings us closer to your gospel. I just pray for, uh, for um, just your, your presence and strength and boldness in Matt. It's in your name we pray, Amen. Good morning. Hope you guys are liking the new place. For uh, yeah, just hang with us for a while. We'll be hanging out. I think it looks cool. I think they've done. It. I like what they've done with it. Uh, yeah. uh, well, my name's Matt Gore. Um, I'm kind of the men's director here at Grace City. I'm not usually. I'm not the usual guy up here. Although you will see me next week as well. Um, but Randall has given me the opportunity to come up and share uh, out of James with you guys uh, uh, today. And you know, I, I've normally been okay. Uh, coming up and I guess you would call this public speaking, is being out in front of people. I never really had a lot of like too much nervousness where it was crippling, right? That's just, I've just been okay with it. But there was a particular time where that wasn't the case for me. And uh, that was when I was doing, uh, when I was in graduate school. I was working on my PhD uh, in molecular biology. And spoiler, I I eventually finished, uh, but there's a point in graduate school that they call candidacy. And uh, candidacy is like a test midway. And really, actually, if you fail a second time, they just kick you out of grad school and say you can never come back. That's like in the rules. It's just like, you fail it twice, like, sorry, you're done at the university. So uh, there's a lot of pressure, and it's supposed, it was supposed to be harder than the actual, like, finishing your, your, uh, your PhD at the end. It was supposed to be even harder than that. And so what it is, is, is you're given some time, you're given a month to prepare a proposal, a research proposal, uh, and then you have to write it and then present it in front of a committee. This committee are the experts of the field. They're the people who know way more than you do. And um, you have to, th- their job is to hit you with a proverbial bat until you're done, you know, <laughs> is, is to, to, to get everything out of you. So I'm standing there, and this sort of like ability I had for public speaking and, and being in front of people somehow left me that afternoon or that evening. <laughs> And, I, and, I, and I'm just, I'm froze. 
And um, one, one of my committee members, the one I feared the most, uh, he, he, asked, he gets to the point in this series of questioning, and he asked me this question, and he, he says, uh, do I have cDNA in me right now? And for those of you that don't know what cDNA is, it's not worth talking about. But this is very similar to like if you went to a physician in an emergency room and, and you asked him, what is, what is all this red fluid coming out of my hand? And he went, uh, I, don't, I don't know. It's blood, obviously, is what I'm talking about. But, but, but for a doctor to not know what blood is, that was, that was the question. And I was sitting there frozen like this, not, a, not able to answer him. And it took me a little too long to finally say, no, actually, you don't have cDNA. That's made with this enzyme, blah, blah, blah. And um, I froze. Yeah, I froze then. What, what I was suffering from at that time was something um, that a lot of graduate students, uh, but a lot of people who join it, you know, you start a new job and you suffer from this. It's called imposter syndrome. Have you heard of this? You feel that as if you are an imposter from the people around you. You don't fit in. You're, you're like, how did they let me in, here, in this room? <laughs> and that's how I felt that day, and it, and it destroyed my confidence in front of my, my scary committee uh, to the point where at the end, so you leave the room after your sort of defense, and you come back in after, I don't know, eight, nine hours, it's actually like 10 minutes, and, <laughs> and, and the committee member said to me, you passed but barely. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, like, like you want enough shame, but at least I passed, you know. Do you feel this way, uh, or have you felt this way as a Christian? An imposter? Do you, do you ever feel like when you come in on Sunday morning, everyone is just so nice to me. Everyone just seems like they have their life all together, like they're just doing it right. And then you go home and you're like, what's wrong with me? How come I'm not this way? Why am I not being this way? And when, when you, when, you know, today we're talking about the law, and when you hear things about the law, you're like, man, that is so far from me. I don't understand how I can show up every Sunday. Do you feel like an imposter here? I think in some way we all go through this. We all feel like we, we're not gonna fit in as, as, as a Christian. We don't, we don't fit to the image of what, being, what we think a Christian looks like. And so what, 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 how do we handle that? You know, that's what we're going to talk about today. But, but what's, what's one thing that you can do is simply put on the face of what you believe to be a follower of Christ is, right? You can, you can wear the right clothes, whatever that is. You, you can say the right things. You got the lingo down, the Christianese, if you will. And you're able to, to sort of force yourself to fit in. What we're going to talk about today in James 2 is, is the law. And um, this, is, this is kind of a very... It's not kind of, it's a very difficult thing to talk about because no one wants to be told what to do. No one wants a law, right? Uh, but we're going to work through this together, and I hope, I hope you'll see. Um, but I have three points today. Um, this is James 2, 8 through 13. And the first one is, uh, is the law that we broke. And then after that, we'll talk about uh, the law that set us free. And then uh, point, point three will be the law that is heart-driven. So the law that we broke, and then the law that set us free, and the law that is heart-driven. So looking, uh, look with me, in, uh, starting in verse 8, uh, the first part here. Uh, J- James says this, If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty 
of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have been, become a transgressor of the law. So what do we have? What's the situation here? Well, last week we talked about, uh, in, earlier in chapter 2, about uh, this, this partiality that the church at the time that James was addressing was showing. And that is, if you remember, a man with a rich, uh, who looked rich, you know, he had, he had nice, I think he was a golden ring, ring and nice robes, and they were treating this guy really well. But yet, a man who looked poor, they were treating him poorly. They um, made him, it was just sit at my feet, you know, there was a, there was a partiality, a prejudice shown uh, in the treatment of others. And what, what, what the church was likely doing is saying, you know what, we're just following the law here. The law says, uh, as he says um, in the beginning here, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When someone comes in here, this rich guy, we're just loving him. We're just loving him like he's ourself. We're treating him well. But James points out that actually it's the partiality here. They're breaking the law. And he has, he has every right f- for that, uh, he, uh, if you look back into Leviticus, where, where actually this law was given in the beginning, um, right, right before he says, you shall love your neighbors yourself, God says this, he says, you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. And here, this is like the Old Testament backing up, um, backing up the law that James is giving here. James calls this the royal law, Right? The royal law, is that peculiar to you? Well, what he really means is uh, because this is a law given by the king. This is a royal law, and the king, of course, is Jesus Christ. And, and uh, as I mentioned last week as well, when Jesus was asked, you know, for sort of a summary of the entire law, he gave two things, and that was to love God and to love others. And so here, in, in showing partiality and showing this prejudice, the church has broken the royal law. Uh, so... What, he, what also he points out is this. Um, forever who keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. And uh, what, what, he's, what he's trying to say is e- even though the church did something what they thought might have been a minor infraction, this, this sort of showing prejudice, treating someone different because they were you know, rich or because they were, they were poor, that they actually broke the entire law in doing that. Uh, th- this is pretty easy to do. <laughs> This sort of mi- minor infraction, if you will, and, you know, maybe you'd say, think it's like a misdemeanor, but that's not how it works. In fact, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus was in, in Matthew 5, um, you, you guys know the law, you do not murder. You know, that's part of God's law. That's part of the things he said, you know, do this, don't do that. Uh, Jesus says this, actually, anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. That's in Matthew 5. He says, no longer is it just, oh, as long as you don't physically kill someone, you're, you're cool. But he's saying, like, if you're angry at someone, in fact, you've broken the law. And again, with adultery, you think, oh, there's the act of adultery itself. But he says, and again, in Matthew 5, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You guys ever become angry at someone? No, right? Everyone's like, no. No, I got no, I just got pan face for everyone. Have you ever looked at someone lustfully? What, what, what my point is here is that even just the smallest thing, the smallest breaking of the law, at least small to us, is, is, is in, in fact breaking the entire thing. But what James is using here is, is, the, is, is the people at the time he was, um, he was the people he was writing to, sorry, um, he was using their language of a legalistic argument. 
So they were trying to say, well, look, this is the law, and they were trying to sort of cross the T's and dot the I's and have their checklist and that sort of thing. He was using their language to say that, in fact, um, what we're doing is okay. He's saying, well, actually, treating the poor in this way is not acceptable. And, in fact, you're breaking the whole law. This is kind of like a window. If, if, if you throw a baseball at a window, uh, probably accidentally, but it, I guess if you did it purposely, uh, you, you throw a baseball at a window and you have a hole in it and it, it's a big window and it's got some cracks, you might be able to argue, look, some of this window is okay. I didn't really break the whole window, right? But no, no one thinks that. You have to replace that whole piece of glass, right? The window is broken. Even if there's just a little crack in it, you break the window. We had that in our old house. We had, we had a crack in a window from I, I don't know what. And I just sort of ignored it, but eventually it just sort of fell apart. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be broken. So similar to when uh, Jesus was talking in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he was talking to, to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were just, they put the law, they put the following the law above the character of God. They, they would rather just make sure that they could check the box, and this is the law, and that's the law, but yet ignore the character of God. And the same thing was going on in, um, in James's uh, audience. But being led around in this way as someone who's showing favoritism, um, it's really we're identifying that it's, it's not God that's leading us, but it's rather fear. It's fear that we're going to mess up, that we're going to break the law. And you, you might find yourself asking questions. We, we might have questions like this if this is the case for us. If, if we're being led by fear, you might ask, is this a sin? Is this what I'm doing? Is this really a sin? Can we, can we, can we get out the books and, and see? Is, is this really a sin? Perhaps am I really breaking the rules here? Is this really something that's against the law? You know, when you hold the law in a, in a high accord like that, you, you really want to look at the details, right? Or does this really apply to me? Does this really apply to me uh, as a Christian? Does this really apply to me in today's time? I mean, really, this was written a long time ago. Maybe this doesn't apply to me anymore. Well, what I hope that all of you have been waiting for, the resolution for this, is, and that's in my second point, is the law that set us free, which seems counterintuitive, but I'll, let's try to work through this. As believers in Christ, uh, Christ came, and as he said, he fulfilled the law because we're unable to do this. We're actually unable to, 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 to continue to check off our list and make sure that we follow the law. And because we're unable, Christ came and he died for us. But uh, as Christ points out, this is also in, in Matthew 5, uh, he says, not an iota, not a dot will be taken from the law. He didn't come to nullify the thing. He didn't come to just you know, rip up the law into pieces and then that's it, like you guys are good. Uh, but he came to fulfill it. But, but, but take a look in, in, uh, in verse 12 here. He says, so speak. This is very James-like. It's just sort of like a command-like thing. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Now, you're probably wondering, and this has always been confusing to me, a law of liberty. Law and liberty seem like really opposite things, you know, if you think about it, right? Law is something that you think about that is constraining your actions, it's, it's what you're under, it's, 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 uh, it's like a bondage. But yet liberty, that's a free thing, that's freedom. So how are these two things together? Well, what he's referring to here is uh, the freedom that we have is we've been set free from the bondage of sin. 
A similar passage is found in Galatians, Galatians 5.13. Now this is Paul writing. He says, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Paul writing in, uh, in Galatians is saying, now that you're free, serve one another. James writing is the same thing, to, that you should be loving one another with your freedom. So our freedom from the dominion of sin uh, should thus change the actions that we have. That's why he's saying, live like you're under the law of liberty. It should change our actions. But what happens is that we're, even though we are free from this, and I hope you guys all can relate, um, we still hang around in its domain. We hang around in the, in the dominion of sin. This is kind of like if you're a citizen of an oppressive country and uh, you know, everything is just horrible there and you're trying to get out, you're trying to become a citizen of the country next door and in fact, I grant you the citizenship and you know, you're able to leave but yet you're still hanging out even though you can leave, you're still hanging out in a country uh, that's oppressing you. Similarly, uh, my current job, I, I, have a, I like to say I have a lot of freedom in my job which is really nice. It's, it's also very dangerous. But, but when I come into work every day, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't clock in. Uh, in fact, I don't, I don't keep track of hours or anything. I just come and I'm expected to just do work. So I'm a scientist and, and you know, the experiments I'm doing, I'm just expected to eventually have some data and publish. And um, you know, I have a great, even recently I, I told my boss, I said, I'm gonna have to move my schedule around. I just wanna let you know because uh, I'm helping out with my kids and then I'm just gonna shift and work a little later. And, and he was like, whatever, you know, it's almost like he didn't want to talk about it. So I have that much freedom in my job. Uh, so I sort of have the opportunity here to either use that and to do the things that, that, that I think are critical to, well, science or, to, you know, to research or to just slack off. I could do that very, very easily. You know, the boss isn't here today, then I'm not either. <laughs> it's very easy to do. But you see here with it, the words that James is giving us is that we're called to a standard even as Christians. But the problem is we can't force that on ourselves, can we? 1 Peter 1, uh, 14 says this, as obedient children, uh, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you as holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I in that case is uh, is God. So we see even though we've been free from our sin, even though we've been free, there's a critical urgency in the New Testament even to be a changed people, to be a holy people. But the problem is if we try to force this on ourselves, again, this imposter syndrome, if you try to just make yourself into something that you think you need to be, Justifying our, our, our own feelings above those of God, we end up failing. Which leads to my last point, which is uh, a law that is heart-driven. Verse 13 says this, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James is saying here that if we show no mercy... And in, in, the, in the case, um, in his time, it was, it was treating someone differently because they were poor. You know, you're not showing them mercy. Then no mercy will be shown to us. So in fact, at the time, in their attempts to obey the law, they're trying to obey the law. They, they actually missed 
a major character trait of God, and that is his mercy. So they're trying to, you know, work through their checklist at the time, but they forgot about the fact that our God is a merciful God. They missed the whole point altogether. In fact, in judging others in, in, uh, by partiality, uh, by showing partiality based on external appearances, James's audience was showing no mercy to the poor. This is an exact negative. So the positive of this is found in Matthew 5, back to Matthew 5 again, uh, where Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That is, those who are merciful shall, uh, shall receive mer- mercy. And, and Jesus in Matthew 18 tells a parable uh, called the parable of the unforgiving ser- uh, servant. Have you heard this one? I'll paraphrase for you. So there's a king, and uh, the, the king is sort of settling the debts of the people who owe him money. And this particular man owes him a lot of money. Um, I'm just going to say a million bucks. He owes him a million bucks. I don't know the exact exchange ratios, but there's probably a footnote in your Bible about it. And uh, he says, okay, well, we have to sell this guy and his family to slavery. But this guy comes on his knees and he says, please, please just give me some time. I'll pay it off. And what does this king do? He says, you know what? I forgive you. You don't owe me the money anymore. He relieves him of his debts. So this man... uh, being free of his, of his debt, goes and he find, the, one of the first things he does is finds a guy who owes him like a hundred bucks. And he's like, when are you going to pay me your hundred bucks? <laughs> and, he's, and the guy says, please, like, I, I, don't, I, I can't pay you. Give me some time. And he says, you know what? That's it. And, and, and he's, he's thrown away in prison. Man, he didn't show mercy to that guy. So the king, the first guy, uh, he, he, he gets word of this and he brings the guy back and he says, you know what? I forgave all your debts. I, mean, I forgave you a million bucks. But yeah, this guy, this guy owed you a hundred bucks and you were just like, you didn't forgive him. So in fact, he had that guy thrown in prison. <laughs> Blessed are the merciful for they will, they will receive mercy. So what we see is we try to change ourselves. We try to become something. But yet we miss the whole point altogether. This, another example is, um, you guys ever go to the gym? Yeah, you guys have been to a gym. You guys at least know what a gym is. Yeah, let's say maybe you have this thought that uh, you want to get big, you want to get muscly, you want to get jacked. <laughs> I got more words. Um, so, you, so you put on some clothes, you join a gym, and you show up for your first day, and you're looking around, and you see this guy, and he's just Mount Kilimanjaro, you know? He's swole, and he's just like, he sits down at the bench, and he's, and he's, he's you know, doing one of these, what do these call these curls or concentration curls? Or and, he, and he's got like a, a dumbbell there that's like your body weight. And he's just kind of grunting and doing this. And you're like, that, that is what I want to be. That guy right there, he is swole. And um, so you look at him and you think, okay, what kind of shoes does he have? Oh, okay, I, I need those. And then uh, his shorts, you know, I can see why he has those shorts. Those help him with the movement and, you know, his muscles give him room to grow and, and, he, and he's got one of those shirts where you just cut like from here, you know. It's like kind of just you're wearing a shirt because they make you wear a shirt kind of thing. And then he's got this shaker bottle with like bright pink stuff in there. And he's, you know, he's always drinking from that. And he's got a gallon of water for some reason. And you're like, that's, that's the stuff I need. I need to find that stuff. So you go and uh, you go home. Uh, you go to the store, you get a gallon of water, you, you find out that that stuff's called pre-workout and uh, you, you put that in your little shaker bottle, you buy a shaker bottle with one of those little like metal balls that 
you know, you sh- makes a loud noise when you shake it. And, and then you get the shorts and the shoes and you show up. And, uh, you know, a few weeks go by, you go into the gym and you're looking in the mirror, you know, as you do often, and, and you're just flexing and you're like, man, what's wrong with me? I don't look like that guy. I'm not a mountain. <laughs> you see what I mean here? You, you miss the point. You think it's all about the accessories, about the way you look, about, about the, the, the things you talk about. But in fact, what it's really about is discipline and hard work and time that Mount Kilimanjaro has put in and in the gym. You guys are going to be saying that now. It's all about the discipline. You, you miss the mark altogether. You think it's about these accessory things and you miss, in fact, the character of what it means to, to, to get buff. There's a lot of words for that, isn't there? So the big question here, coming back, is not, do you look like a Christian? What does a Christian look like? But the question here is, are the attributes of your heart aligned with the attributes of God, of Christ? So maybe if you, if you find yourself an imposter, if you find yourself struggling to fit in, um, you have to realize that God is looking at the heart. He, he's not looking at what kind of shoes you wear or what kind of pre-workout you have. He's looking at the heart. And in fact, if, if we treat God like a checklist, like, like, like we're here for self-help, we'll, we'll inevitably fail and fail miserably. I know that from my own experience. The only way that our hearts can be changed is through God himself. We can't push ourselves to, to follow the law. Our motivation can't be something that is, that's external, like this shoes thing. But worse than that, when we try, when we try to do it on our own, when we try to say, okay, God is a, is a graceful God or God is a merciful God, there we end up failing too. We end up distorting and morphing into something that in the end misses the image and character of God. We replace something as big and as important as faith with anxiety. We replace hope with bitterness, mercy with favoritism, which is in the case in James. We replace grace with self-righteousness, and we replace love with, at best, apathy. We miss the whole character of God, trying to morph ourselves into it. Take a look at Ezekiel, going Old Testament now. Ezekiel 36. God says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Here I hope you notice that God is not saying through Ezekiel, be clean. Leave your idols, change your heart, obey my rules. There's a lot of I in that, and that I is God. He's saying, I will clean you. I will pull you away from your idols. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit. And the result of this at the end is a walk in God's statutes. So you see, it's God is the one doing the work, not ourselves. And we have to let God be the one that's doing that. This is called sanctification. 
Philippians 1.6 says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When you believe in Jesus as your Savior, from that very moment, God has only begun a work in you. When you accept him as your redeemer. By the blood of Christ, you've been set free from the bondage of sin and he will continue to work in your heart. If only you let him. You know, back to being an imposter. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot to pull us away from seeking God. There's a lot of sin around us. We wrestle with it in our hearts back and forth all the time. And once you acknowledge that fact, that there's a battle between God and, and right, or between sin and, and righteousness, once you acknowledge it, you can fight it. But once you acknowledge that you can't fight it is when you can let God in. So just a, uh, just a couple, you know, what do we do with all this? I just have two takeaways. Um, and it's really just about putting yourself in the right place to allow God to do this work. Putting yourself in the right place. And there are just two ways you can do this. The first one is just habits. Uh, habits. Um, do, you have a, do you have a regular habit of prayer and reading the scripture? Is that part of your life? Or is it just Sundays? And you, you know, you have to be careful. There's a warning with both these, I think, is you can fake it. You know, you can say, yeah, I pray every day for, uh, for 18 and a half minutes. I set my timer and then I'm, you know, I pray and I'm done. And, and, you, and you can sort of say the same prayer every day, but are you really seeking God? Are you really letting God be the one to work in your heart? So that's what I encourage you guys to do is, is just have a habit where every day, just, even just for a little bit, just open, uh, open up the Bible. And you know what will happen is at first you're forcing yourself to do this, Right? At first, it's, it's sort of like I'm, I'm forcing my head down and opening the Bible and coming up with something. But at, I guarantee, I guarantee that as you continue to do it, it will no longer be something that you're forcing yourself to do, but it'll be something that you'd have to force yourself not to do. That God will work in your heart in that way. My last point, is, uh, my last um, takeaway here is put yourself in the right place in community. You know, we hope that uh, the Grace City can be a community for you to grow in God. That's what we want. Randall will vouch for that too. And you know, all of us up here, and, and I guarantee a lot of you guys as well, like we would love to do, we would do anything for you to point you towards God and lead you in that way. And you know, we have a, very, we have, we have a number of things, you know, uh, we have small groups to meet and there's GC men and women and there's, there's a number of things you can get involved in. But really, uh, if you guys just want to hang out with me or anyone here, just give us a call. Let us know. You know, there's like cards and that kind of thing hanging around. Just, just write that on there like I'm looking for community. We'll be there for you. We want to show you uh, how to let God in your heart. We want, to, we want to go through this together. And again, this is something that you can fake. I want to, I want to have that warning in there as well. Just like you can you sort of fake having habits of these things. Um, you can fake um, coming here and, uh, and being part of the community. And you know, we really need to fight this together. We need to fight this as a church to not just be, uh, not just be uh, images, but, but to rather, all the way down to the heart, bear the image of God in that way. Okay. Let's pray.
Lord, I just thank you for your word. God, we, uh, we know it's really easy to just try to do it on our own. Lord, to try to, ma- to make up our own rules. And, um, but God, we, we want to we know you. We want to know you and, and, uh, and, and know your character. Lord, just uh, and everything of you. Lord, I just pray for all of us that we would seek you with our whole heart. Lord, that we'd be, we'd be able to see a change not brought about by our own will, Lord, but that you would take away our heart of stone and replace it with a new one. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.